Good morning. It is so good to be together on the Lord's Day. I want to join in with Brother Dan welcoming you, especially if you're visiting. We are glad to have you here with us. We invite you to stay around afterwards. We'll have Bible class, and uh, then we will have uh, this evening at 6 o'clock, we're going to have the area-wide singing. And my understanding is there's going to be a lot of people here tonight, and the singing, I'm sure, is going to be great, and you will certainly want to be a part of that. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, and this, of course, is Thanksgiving week. It is a time that people think about uh, giving thanks, they think about gratitude, and I thought, why don't we study just an account such as this from the Bible this morning? We're going to talk today about the story of the ten lepers. Now, we read it, but I want to read it again, and then we're going to launch into our study today. Luke 17, beginning in verse 11, the Bible says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then, as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine, where there are not any found who return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you whole. As this particular section begins, Jesus is traveling in a large group of people, a caravan of people. They're on their way to Jerusalem. And he passes through the midst of Samaria and Galilee and He's about to enter a certain village. The Bible doesn't say which village. It simply says a certain village. And outside of the village, there is a group of people, ten men, who were lepers. That means they had leprosy. And they were standing at a distance because of this. It was frequently contagious. Now, that sets the scene for what we're going to study today. We're going to have three points, and then we're going to make four applications, four observations The three points, you know, I like to rhyme, they're going to be latitude, gratitude, and attitude. And then we're going to make four observations from this account this morning. The first point, I want to talk about the latitude of these men. Now, you may say, latitude, what are you talking about? The word latitude is a word that means freedom from normal restraints or limitations or regulations. That is, if a person has latitude, he can go as he wants. He has no restraints. These were men who had no latitude. What do I mean? They had no freedom. They were completely restrained because according to the law of Moses, they had to remove themselves from the rest of the population. Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 45 says, Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn, and his head Bear, that is, he ripped his clothes, he shaved his head, and he shall cover his mustache and say, unclean, unclean, he shall be unclean. 
All the days that he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. And so what would happen is people that had leprosy, they oftentimes would dwell together. They would have leper colonies, and they would be quite a distance outside of the city. I want you to think about the emotional pain that would be involved in being a leper. In fact, the emotional pain might be worse than the physical pain. One who was a leper was removed from his family. He was removed from the community. There was to be no contact whatsoever with his children, with his grandchildren, none. And he was immediately removed. His wife would not be allowed to kiss him goodbye. In fact, he wouldn't have allowed it for fear that she too would become afflicted. Lepers would roam in colonies together, looking for food, begging for assistance at a great distance. They would yell with the little voice they had to warn others, don't come near, and to beg for help. Can you imagine what it would be like to be removed from your friends and your family, some of them for a lifetime, and be forced to, at a distance, yell in this horrible, horrible condition? But not only did they have no latitude or freedom as it pertains to interaction with others, but their health was very seriously afflicted. Let me read you the definition of leprosy. This is Smith's Bible Dictionary. It says that the principal morbid features are rising or swelling, scabs, baldness, a white or a bright spot especially a white swelling in the skin, an appearance of a taint going deeper than the skin, or raw flesh appearing in the swelling. The physical ramifications of leprosy are horrendous. Leprosy attacks the body, leaving sores, missing fingers, missing toes, damaged limbs. In many cases, the initial pain of leprosy eventually would result in loss of sensation. The nerve endings would stop working. It would lead eventually to more damage to body parts. I read that for some, the disease could take 30 years to run its course. And during that time, entire limbs would sometimes fall off. It was a most horrible disease. We can barely fathom what it would be like. Think about the health care system they would have had 2,000 years ago, and what type of treatments would have been available, it would have been nearly non-existent. I was reading an account of a woman who several years ago made a mission trip to a third world country, and she was wanting to minister to a leper colony. And so she said as she approached it, she walked by the entrance several times, she saw those who were suffering, and she tried to force herself to go in, but she said she just couldn't. You want to know the reason? She said she could not go in because the smell overwhelmed her. In fact, the smell was so putrid, she said it made her sick to her stomach. She tried to go in, but she became violently ill. Why? It was the smell of rotting flesh. Now, I want you to think about that. It would have been difficult to look upon. It would have been difficult to listen to, to hear these people wail. They were suffering, but then the smell of the rotting, decaying flesh would be overwhelming to the senses. 
Verse 13 says, they lifted up their voices, such as they had anyway. I read that leprosy causes the bronchial tubes to be dry and the voice was harsh and squeaky. Maybe that's the point that they're lifting up their voices. They're straining with what they have. They cried, Master, have mercy on us. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. According to the law, when a leper was cured of leprosy, this is what he was supposed to do. He went and showed himself to the priest, Leviticus 13 and 14. The priest would examine him, and if indeed the leprosy was gone, he would be allowed back into the congregation. Now, the Lord commanded them, this is what you've got to do to obtain the cleansing. And brethren, you've got to rest assured, if they had not obeyed him, they would have remained as lepers. You think about 2 Kings chapter 5, and you've got Naaman, who is the leper. And he's commanded to go and dip uh, a number of times in the Jordan. And he says, aren't the uh, rivers of Bana and Farpar, aren't those better rivers? He was trying to find a different way. Had he not obeyed the Lord, he would not have been cleansed of his leprosy. And the same thing is true here. The Lord is giving them a test of faith. And it is at that moment that they obeyed that they were cleansed. Notice verse 14, and it came to pass as they went, they were cleansed. Miraculously, they received the blessing of the Lord when their faith was exhibited. Hold that thought, we're going to come back to it. Verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, and with a loud voice he glorified God, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Apparently, nine of these lepers were Jews. One of them was a Samaritan. And it's very interesting because normally Samaritans and Jews would have nothing to do with each other, but it's fascinating the fellowship of their situation. The disease had removed the racial prejudice between the Jews and Samaritans, and they're dwelling together. One man turned back. He glorified God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet and he gave thanks. We see their latitude. They had none. They had lost their freedom. But I want you to notice their gratitude. This passage has oftentimes been used to teach on gratitude, and particularly the sin of ingratitude, because Jesus noted it. In verse 17, Jesus said, were there not ten who were cleansed, but where are the nine? Jesus publicly recognized the indifference and the ingratitude of the nine who did not come back. Ladies and gentlemen, the Lord is serious about people who have an unthankful heart. We look around us today and we see many who are ungrateful for the rich blessings that we receive, and this echoes in our ears. And you know, sometimes if we're not careful, we ourselves begin to take things for granted and we just assume that we are entitled, especially in this country, we have an entitlement uh, philosophy. I read an illustration from years ago. It said, in some parts of Mexico, hot springs and cold springs are found side by side, and because of the convenience of this natural phenomenon, women would bring their laundry, and they would boil the clothes in the hot springs, and then they would take them out and rinse them in the cold springs. And it said that a tourist was watching this procedure, and he commented to his Mexican friend and guide, he said, I imagine that people 
Uh, They are very thankful to Mother Nature for this very generous supply of hot water and cold water side by side that they get to use it this way. And the guide said, no, Senor, actually there is much grumbling because she doesn't also supply soap. It's interesting. Isn't that typical of the attitude? We don't take time to be thankful for the things that we have, but we are quick to complain about the things that we don't have. It was said that when multimillionaire Andrew Carnegie died, he left $1 million to one of his relatives, and the account says that when this relative found out he was receiving $1 million, he cursed Carnegie thoroughly because Carnegie had left $365 million to charity, and he said he cut me off with a measly $1 million. How often do we have the same sort of attitude toward God? Friends, we might be tempted to think of this as a light thing and think, this is not that big a deal. He just didn't say thank you like he ought to, but this was a serious thing with God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul lists ingratitude and thanklessness as marks of a morally degenerate society. Listen to verse 1. He says, this know that in the last days... Perilous times shall come, men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud. Listen to this attitude. He says they're going to love themselves. They don't care about appreciation to other people. They're covetous. They want more. They are boasters. They're proud of themselves. They're blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Now listen, they are unthankful and they are unholy. You know, we might not be surprised to find words such as covetous and blasphemers and unholy, but then there's there's that word unthankful. God does not look kindly on those that he gives rich blessings to, and they turn around and they don't have gratitude toward him. You know, it used to be that parents were very serious about making sure that their children said thank you that they were, uh, would send notes to express gratitude. But with many, that's fallen by the wayside. There is an old Italian saying that says, the animal with the long ears, after having drunk, will give a kick to the bucket. And the point was, a donkey, they're talking about the animal with the long ears, would drink out of the bucket, and then he would kick that bucket. And it was an expression of how some people don't appreciate the blessings that they're given. A a Roman who lived in the 300s AD said this, Nothing more detestable does the earth produce than an ungrateful man. Charles Spurgeon, probably the most famous Baptist preacher who ever lived, said, I cannot say anything much worse of a man than that he is not thankful to those who have been his benefactors. And when you say he is not thankful to God, you have said about the worst thing that you can say about him. We need to make a conscious effort to be grateful for the blessings that we have. And indeed, God demands this of us. Colossians 3.15 says, be ye thankful. Colossians 4 and verse 2 says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing in everything, 
give thanks for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ concerning you, we can go on and on with passages that say this. You know, frequently we use the phrase that we should have an attitude of gratitude. And we like it because it rhymes, but, but that's right. I read an account of a preacher who made a mission trip in the 1990s. And he was in a place in a third world country, and he was at a leper colony, and they were worshiping together. Before they ended the worship, he said, we've got time for one more song. Do we have any request? And he said that there was a woman who had been facing away from the pulpit, and she turned around, and he said it was the most hideous face he had ever seen. He said the woman's nose and ears were entirely gone. Leprosy had destroyed her lips. And he said she lifted up her hand that was missing a finger, and in the air she raised her hand and said, Can we sing Count Your Many Blessings? He said he was so choked up he had to leave the service. Think about that. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. It will surprise you what the Lord has done. When we practice that, it's beneficial to us in several ways. Number one, it pleases the Lord when we count our blessings. Number two, it makes us realize how richly blessed we are. But here's something that perhaps you haven't thought of. Counting your blessings helps prevent discouragement. Have you ever thought about that? There's a legend told of a man who found a barn where Satan kept his seeds that he would sow in the human heart. What the man found in the barn was that there were seeds of discouragement that far outnumbered all the other seeds. He learned from the devil that this seed could grow almost anywhere. When he questioned Satan, Satan reluctantly admitted there was one place where he could not get the seeds of discouragement to grow, and the man said, where is that? And the devil replied, in the heart of a grateful man. I can't get the seeds of discouragement to grow in the heart of the grateful. And that's right. A man who constantly considers his blessing is often, he's always going to be more encouraged than he is discouraged. We see their latitude or lack of it. We see their gratitude, but then let's notice their attitude. These three men had been greatly blessed by the Lord. These were men whose lives were miserable. They had no latitude for enjoyment. They had no freedom to go anywhere. Their health had been taken away. They were crying, have mercy on us. Some of them likely would have died, and the Lord gave them their lives back. What was the attitude of these ten men? Look at verse 17. Jesus said, were there not ten who were cleansed? Where are the nine? The first thing I want you to observe is this. The Lord notices when we don't have an attitude of gratitude. Secondly, I want you to consider the question, why didn't they come back to thank the Lord? You ever think about that? Why didn't they come back? You would expect them to come running back and falling down in front of him and kissing his feet. You would expect a constant outpouring of thank yous. You would expect tears of joy. You would expect maybe them following Jesus or at least trying to. Why didn't they come back? And the answer is, there was a defect in their hearts. If their hearts had been what they should have been, they would have come back and they would have thanked him with tears. Verse 17, Jesus said, where are the nine? 
Weren't there, there were ten, where are the nine? You know, we might ask the same question today, where are the nine? That is, where are the others? Pay special attention to verse 18. This is the American Standard. Were there none found that returned to give glory to God except this stranger? Jesus said, where are the nine? Where are the others? When I was preparing for this sermon, I found an old sermon that was online. It was written in the 1800s. This preacher from the 1800s had preached a sermon on the ten lepers, and he preached on gratitude. And I was curious to see what this sermon would say in the 1800s. And one of the things he said in that sermon was, a way that we express gratitude today, 200 years ago, he said, was by not showing up for worship. He said, the Lord sent his son to die on the cross. He suffered and he died for us. And he said, and we stay home because we have other things to do. And he said, what ingratitude. And I thought, wow, 200 years ago, some things just don't change, do they? You could have preached that almost word for word today. We look at the latitude, lack of it. We look at the gratitude. We look at their attitude. Now, I want to draw four points, four lessons from this very quickly. Lesson number one is this. In this account, we have a definition of faith. Now, I mentioned this in passing, but I want to emphasize this. You know, we are frequently told in the day in which we live that we are saved by faith. And that's right, the Bible teaches that. But we are frequently uh, told that what that means is we are saved by belief alone without any action. And that if we try to have any action, then we're trying to save ourselves. Friends, that is not true, and it has never been true. Notice verse 14, Jesus said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. What does that mean? Verse 19 says, Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. What if they had not gone? What if they had believed, but they said, we're not going to go because if we go, that would be us doing something, and that would be a work, and that would be us trying to save ourselves. If they just believed and they had not gone, would Jesus have said, your faith made you whole? He would not have. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, in what we call a hall of faith, verse uh, 4 says, by faith, Abel offered. Verse 7, by faith, Noah built. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed. Verse 27, by faith, Moses forsook Egypt. Verse 29, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea. On and on and on through that chapter, faith is defined as doing something. You believe it, and you follow through with obedience. And so, James chapter 2 and verse 20 says, faith without works of obedience is dead. Dead faith. Today, we are told by many people, believe and you will be saved. But if you think that baptism is necessary, then you're trying to save yourself because you're trying to do something. Friends, it has never been that way. We have always, man from the beginning of time, has been saved by faith when it followed through in obedience. With not, without the obedience, it was not faith. Here's the second thing we learn. We need to obey the Lord even when times are hard. These lepers, upon hearing the words of Jesus, they turned and they obeyed him. I regularly hear people today who will blame God for the difficulties in their life. 
They are bitter because of losses. They are bitter because of hardships, because of the reverses, particularly if they've lost a loved one. They are angry with God because of that. Friends, you cannot wait until your problems are over to start walking by faith. You can't put conditions on God. You can't say, Lord, as soon as there's enough money, then I'll follow your instructions. You can't pray, Lord, if you'll just solve my family issues, I'll start going to church. You can't put conditions on God. God demands that we obey Him in faith, even when times are hard. You know, what this brought to my mind was, do you remember when the devil was having a conversation with God about Job? One of the accusations the devil made about Job was this. He says, Lord, he serves you because you bless him. He serves you because his life is easy. But you take those things away and you make his life difficult and he will curse you to your face. Why did the devil say that? Of course, he was wrong about Job, but i tell you why he said that. Because that's exactly how it is with many people. When Job served God, even when times were hard, that was an even more powerful testament to his faithfulness. We've got to serve God even when staring in the face of adversity. Number three, I want you to notice how a person expresses gratitude. How does that happen? Verse 15 says, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he returned, and with a loud voice he glorified God. He fell on his face at his feet, and he gave thanks. Did he feel gratitude in his heart? Clearly he did. But I want you to notice it was more than just a feeling in his heart. Notice what he did. Number one, he returned. That took time. He glorified God, and he did it with a loud voice. He fell on his face on the ground. He gave thanks verbally. His gratitude was expressed in effort and exertion and energy and enthusiasm. It took time out of his schedule to go back. He didn't care who saw him. He didn't care who heard him. He did this with a loud voice. Have you ever been in a a public restaurant and maybe before you ate, you were going to pray, but you did it quickly or silently or maybe not at all because you were maybe embarrassed who might see you? I think about him expressing gratitude, but he does it with a loud voice. And he does it with enthusiasm. You know, one of the ways that we express gratitude to God is when we praise Him in song. Do we do it with enthusiasm? You know, sometimes I've heard singing, and they will sing, when we all get to heaven. It doesn't sound like they want to go. It sounds like they're miserable. We ought to have enthusiasm. We express our gratitude to God in our worship. We do that by the way we give. Wouldn't you agree? You express your gratitude in your giving. You express your gratitude in your mindset when you're worshiping, because a truly grateful heart, his mind is focused on his worship. You hear it in his singing. You see it by his attendance. This man didn't care who heard him. He did it with a loud voice, and he verbalized it. God expects us to take the time to not be ashamed to express it in our prayer life. Ask yourself this question. How much time do you devote in your prayer life to expressing praise and thanks to God? Oftentimes, we put a lot of focus on saying, Lord, 
please give me this. Lord, please grant that. Lord, please care for this person. Lord, please do this. And those things are appropriate. But how much time do we spend in prayer expressing gratitude to God? He notices it. Here's the next thing. Number four, we thank God with our time, with our effort, and our energy. And so it's 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. It's time for Bible class. The number of people who have been blessed has gotten smaller. The, the people who have been blessed is the same number, but the people who are in worship, as compared to the number of people in Bible class, if you look at the statistics, you will see that it drops. The number of people who stay for Bible class is less. We might ask ourselves, where are the nine? Where are the others? We're not all cleansed by the blood of the Lord. It's 6 o'clock Sunday evening, it's time for worship. Some have returned to worship God, but the audience has diminished considerably. Many who were here on Sunday morning haven't returned to worship God. We might ask the question, where are the nine? Where are the others? Now, somebody might say, Don, you can't find a command in the Bible that says that you have to come back on Sunday night. But would you appreciate with me that Jesus did not give a command to these lepers to come back and thank him? They didn't need a command. The heart of gratitude brought them back. Matthew 22 and verse 37. Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, with all of thy soul, and with all of thy mind. That's what brought them back. This morning, as we conclude this lesson, I want you to ask yourself, in which group do you belong? Do you belong in the group with the one, the Samaritan, who had a grateful heart, and took the time to express it to the Lord? Or do you belong to the group of the nine? Jesus answering said, Were there not ten who were cleansed? But where are the nine? There are none found except this one who returned to give glory to God. I appreciate your good attention this morning. We like at the end of every sermon to extend the Lord's invitation. Because if there's someone here who is not a Christian, you have no greater need than to hear the gospel plan of salvation. To become a Christian, to have your sins washed away, and to be added to the Lord's church, the Bible teaches that you need to hear and believe the gospel. In John 8, 24, Jesus said, If you believe not that I am He, you shall die in your sins. Upon hearing it and believing it, you need to repent. Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Then you need to confess your faith in Jesus Christ. As the Son of God, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, With the mouth confession is made unto, towards salvation. And then you need to be baptized. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21 says, The like figure whereunto baptism doth now also save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Once you do those things, you're washed in the blood of Jesus, you're added to his church, and if you will live faithfully for the rest of your life, you will find a home in heaven. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Revelation 2 and verse 10. Maybe we have those here today who are in need of obeying the gospel. We're ready to assist you. Maybe you're a member of the Lord's body, but this morning you desired the prayers of your brethren. We would be very honored if we could pray on your behalf. This morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, won't you come? Together we stand and sing the invitation song.